Jim Lake. I'm Vice President of Training and Technical Services here at Viking, and today is a, an interesting tech talks and something brand new format here. This is not just me and Sean talking in, in this one. I got uh, some pretty heavy hitters here. Uh, we're going to talk about antifreeze, uh, the history of antifreeze and where antifreeze is going. I've got Scott Franson, James Gollenville, and Martin, <laughs> Martin Workman here. Um, to, we're going to talk a little bit about the history, a little bit about Viking's history with this, uh, uh, with this topic. Um, I brought these guys along because these guys were with me actually in 2010. They were in various parts of the industry in 2010 when uh, the, the antifreeze uh, topic actually kind of really took off um, and changed significantly from its previous 70 years. So. Uh, one of the things I wanted to chat with you guys about is in, can I just take a quick walk through history here, because it was 1940 when uh, NFPA 13 first brought on the concept of, of using antifreeze in, in water-based sprinkler systems, and, and uh, it was in the appendix, and it was really just something that they said, be very careful when you're, when you're using it. Uh, minor, they referred to minor unheated areas, not very enforceable, but minor unheated areas. Um, and they actually called out things like carbon tetrachloride mixed with oil as one, as one possible uh, option, as well as Prestone. They actually called out the, t the, the product. We don't do that uh, pretty much anymore. I believe, uh, I believe they titled it non-freezing solutions. Right. It, st it started off as non-freezing. That, that's right. So um, if that... So we, uh, in, the 50, in the next edition, or in 1953, it moved into the body of the standard, but it really didn't have much more, much more solid language. Uh, propylene glycol was added, and then there was some discussion about the concentrations, how strong it could be to protect against freezing. And actually, those concentrations continued all the way up until the 2010 edition. So it wasn't until the 50s that they started to, say, the limit the size. And I know, James, you had some, some thoughts on, on where that came from or where it was going and some ways that it had changed. Because it started at 20 sprinklers, then it went to 40 sprinklers. Right. There's, there's then a, it went to 40 gallons. There's a history to the change. You know, it came around in the, in the 1940 edition that it said non-freezing solutions. Then in 1953, it did move to the body mm -hmm. under Section 5511. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a 5 dash something. It yes. was 5511 right. back in 1953. And that's kind of an important note because that's the first time it was regulated in the, the, the standard, in mm -hmm. the body of the standard. 1972, um, 5511 was modified to put 20 sprinklers mm -hmm. as the maximum recommendation. It didn't say, right. it just said you should not. Yeah, the language wasn't still very strong, not like we have now in the body of the standard. Right, right, right. So it just said you shouldn't exceed 20 sprinklers because of cost, mm -hmm. which was very interesting. It wasn't because of fire protection. It was, yeah. it's costly to replace, it's costly to maintain back then. Mm -hmm. So that was a recommendation from NFPA, which I find very curious because NFPA doesn't really get involved with cost. It's either okay or not okay. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we tend to stay away from that now. In 1973, it moved to the uh, annex, mm -hmm. again with the 20 sprinkler limitation, and um, again, just a recommendation not to exceed 20 sprinklers. Mm -hmm. Interesting, in 1983, they were doing a, uh, uh, excuse me, in, in the 1973 from the uh, annex, it turned into the 1974 edition. So it started in 1973, and that's when NFPA would publish the ROPs and the mm -hmm. ROCs back right. then. It would always be the year before sure. the uh, standard. So it showed up in the 1974. In 1983, there was a proposal from someone to say, let's change it to 60 gallons mm -hmm. instead of 20 sprinklers. So the proposal was, let's, let's make a 60-gallon limitation. The committee debated that looked at the costing that was proposed as the substantiation. It wasn't fire protection, it was costing. Mm -hmm. And the committee decided to go to 40 gallons right. in the, in the um, technical committee report. When the standard got published in, uh, in 1985, mm -hmm. it said, 40. excuse me, in 1983, it said 40, 40 sprinklers. sprinklers. Right. 
So they made a technical error. Instead of saying 40 gallons, they went to 40 sprinklers. So for one edition, it remained as 40 sprinklers. And then in 1985, again in an ROP, they changed it to 40 gallons. And the reason I walk you through that history is it, it, people believe that the 40 gallons was a fire protection rule. Yeah. It was an economic rule. Mm -hmm. um, 20 sprinklers was an economic rule. Mm -hmm. it, it really, there is no magic bullet that says 40 gallons and above is something worse than 30 gallons and below mm -hmm. in any particular system, uh, especially when you have a concentrated fluid around a fire event. And it's unfortunate, but we kind of use that as our baseline now for new listings moving forward. Mm -hmm. Everyone thinks that 40 gallons is a get-out-of-jail-free card, and it, and it really isn't a fire protection issue at 40 gallons. It was an economic issue that we just have in legacy. It's economy to scale over a dry yeah. system, and that was the key to it. Oh. <clears throat> when you started weighing that out, um, anything less than that, you couldn't, it seemed ridiculous to put in a dry system for 15 heads. Yeah. Because your smallest dry valve at the time was 3-inch. Mm -hmm. They were quite a, I mean, you're, you're talking about really adding some cost, so when, when you really do back it down to the justification was cost, yeah, it makes sense. How yeah. do we put sprinklers in and, you know, not charge an arm and a leg? So the know? first time, yeah, and the first time 40 gallons ever appeared was 1985. Mm -hmm. um, you know, most people think, oh, it goes back to 1920 or it goes back to 1940 when we were right. using antifreeze. Right. Right. Well, 40 was the first time we recognized it, but it wasn't until 85 that we said yeah. 40 gallons. Mm -hmm. For economics, and that was again in the annex. In right. the appendix, yeah. yeah. And so the conventional up to that point, and then a couple other changes. Calcium chloride was removed because it was a pretty much a bad actor in sprinkler systems anyway. It tended to clog things up. But but one of the things that were that was really important at, at that particular time, and it was the fact that a lot of the discussion and the conventional wisdom and everything was we were focusing on its ability to protect against freezing. And it wasn't really until the, it, it, all the way back into to the 1940 edition, there was some recommendations saying, be careful with this, make sure you dilute it down into something that's not, not combustible. But it was just kind of, again, general language. Um, and it wasn't really until the, 20, to, the 2002 edition leading up to that, and then into the 2007 edition, which was 2006 cycle, that we started seeing even more discussion about, hey, this, this stuff's combustible. Maybe we ought to say something about that. And then, Martin, you had a, you had a proposal in the 2000. Viking was very active in the 2007. There was a bunch of you guys. There was you and Eldon Jackson and Don Dorn was all submitting a whole bunch of stuff uh, on, on uh, basically ESFR. But you made, a, you made a proposal that was subsequently rejected by the committee that got into this discussion of, hey, factory premix is the way to go with this, not or a solution versus a mixture. Correct. Right. And that was a neat, you know, that was kind of interesting to see because it's the first time that that kind of came up. The committee said, no, no, there's no proof of anything. So what was the, what was the, I mean, you were a contractor before well, this, so what was the... Yeah, there was, was no the, control or actually any direction on how you were going to mix the, call it antifreeze, mm -hmm. out in the field. So... If you got a five-gallon bucket of whatever, glycerin, mm -hmm. propylene glycol, those were the two, um, you would take a larger bucket, usually, and pour mm -hmm. water and mix it with something, whatever yeah. you had. Whatever if you it had. A shovel, canoe paddle. Canoe paddle. Yeah. yeah, I always say a canoe paddle or two-by-four. Uh -huh. And then when you thought it was mixed, when you thought it was mixed, then typically you take your test pump and right. pump it into it. Right. It's always loved the little fill cup on an antifreeze. It's like, who would ever do that? Can you imagine <laughs> getting 30 feet in the air with a... I don't know, I guess kind of put your, you know, some of our early involvement too though for Viking was as a result of testing done by Tyco with the Yeah, the um, what was it, the Wolflow. Wolf potassium lactate. Potassium lactate. Yeah. And then the FM testing that was suggesting propylene glycol was bad. Was was bad, was flammable. Mm -hmm. And so Viking, we were disputing that. Mm -hmm. We ran residential fires in our burn building mm -hmm. in Hastings with propylene glycol at various concentrations using listed sprinklers at listed flows. Never never had a problem. We ran all kinds of fire tests and every every test we ran under those conditions, under those conditions. was was successful. Yeah. But fact, remember controlled solution was kind of the key to it. Yeah, right. It was controlled, right. but yeah. but it was it was interesting because, you know, later on 
know, in 2010, 2012, right. it became real obvious that yeah. higher pressures, mm -hmm. see, we were only testing at the listed flows, which mm -hmm. is 7, 10 PSI, 12 PSI. Right. No problem. But then you take those same antifreeze concentrations through those small orifices, and now you go to 50 or 60 or 80 PSI, mm -hmm. and it's a whole different world. And that's, you know? and that's where that, that's where the, the, the other part of that was the, was the, the where the premix actually comes from, the you know that's in the standard. Well, it was in the standard when we when all of the TIAs were flying. Yeah. But it's there's there's an important point to make here in that these two solutions or these two chemicals are miscible in water. But to Martin's point, you have to you have to generate enough well, energy to make them. And miscible means they won't separate in solution. But there's a part of the history that a lot of people miss. <clears throat> so if you're doing inspections and you're testing people's antifreeze and mm -hmm. it's not quite up to snuff, what should you do? I know what they did. Yeah. yeah. Every, everybody, yeah. we all, Just, anybody yeah, in contracting it. did that. Poured so it in. They, well, they pumped in pure antifreeze. There, 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 right. there, wasn't, there wasn't direction otherwise. Mm -hmm. It was at this freezing temperature, pump it back in. Right. And, and here, where we live, uh, it would be abnormal every other year to probably need to enrich it or change it out or whatever okay. you want to call it. Um, so, yeah, there were a lot of systems that literally were running pure glycerin just because there wasn't any water yeah. left in it. Right. Um, so, so the idea behind a solution is you can't add to a solution. Right. The, the the whole the whole comment well, was it the, comes yeah, in this the, way it stays that the way. Irony it stays is, that way. is that the freezing point doesn't get any better. Well, as you get into stronger solutions, huh? Yeah, right. it doesn't. All, all of a sudden, you lose in even fact, the freeze protection. Right, right. right. You lose you the know, freeze when the percentage protection. Percentage goes up, but typically you just keep adding a little bit and a little bit. Yeah, like you're, you're defeating the you're yeah. defeating the freeze protection too. And, and, you're, and you're adding to the flammability factor. Right, right. So it's a double edged yeah. double edged sword on that one. So, um, but the so, pre the pre mixing argument is is a very valid it's, argument. It's an excellent and, argument. You know, the appropriate way to change a concentrate on an existing system is to drain the entire system right. into a container, mm -hmm. get it right. mixed on on the stuff that's not premixed. Now mm -hmm. it's changed in standard. You have to use premix right. to go back in if you're not at the right concentrate. Mm -hmm. So it's not an argument any longer because right. the NFPA 25 standard now says you have to use premixed for refilling right. the system. So right. you're sort of at a loss. Yeah other than the new listed fluids. Yeah. So what, the, uh, one of the reasons I brought that as Martin is a man before his time with that proposal <laughs> saying, yeah. saying, saying, hey guys, this, is, this isn't going to work. But going back to the 2002 edition and, and, and in there too, that's when the 40 gallons came out. So the 40 gallons comes in in the mid 80s and it goes all together in the, in the 2002 edition. So I, wanted, I, I know I got some, some guys here that know why, so they we're going to explore that in a minute, but that became one of the contributing factors in the incidents that led to the changes in 2010 because these, th these systems were no longer just small, minor systems that like the standard refers to, where water, by definition, antifreeze comes out followed immediately by water. These were, these were much bigger or allowed much larger systems. Well, the system size was never regulated in 13. It was in the, the appendix, so it never really carried any weight anyway. I mean, you were in contracting. You could see a lot of big antifreeze systems. One of the keys that we had is we were doing testing in 2003 um, where Tyco had had, um, you know, a will flow. Uh, Viking, obviously, you know, kind of disputed it, saying, you know, what's so bad with propylene glycol? Well, our first fire test with K14s kind of showed us that, well, maybe we need something a little better. We moved to K25s and had successful tests with a, a class two commodity. And, you know, back in the you know, early 2000s, class two covered a lot. Well, now it doesn't hardly cover anything. <laughs> you know, now it won't even cover the gloves in my car. But, um, and we, we even repeated those large scale fires. They were higher pressures. Repeated tests. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but one of the keys that we had for system size was uh, we didn't allow grids. It had to be trees. It was mm -hmm. a straight feed to the system. And we had 1,100 gallons because it was a time, because we ran it all with pure uh, solution. We didn't have a water backup, so mm -hmm. to speak. So what we did was 
we flowed 1,100 gallons, I believe, in total for that fire. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was a class two. Be before, yeah, before it was water only. Yeah. yeah. Right. And um, so, so that's that's why that system limitation, for from our standpoint, is if it was fire tested, and that was the mm -hmm. argument in the committee. You know, if you had a fire test and proved it, and it mm -hmm. was listed, which, which we did, which we, we did, did yeah. right. Then, then the limitation didn't didn't mean as much, and it wasn't enforceable anyway in the appendix. It was a mm -hmm. suggestion, right? Suggestion going back to cost, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it was always a practical limit. Limit. Okay, so now we've got yeah. So now we have no limitations at all, but even the forty was gone from yeah, you had from the, the standard. You had the FM approval on right. the potassium lactate or the Willflow mm -hmm. fluid mm -hmm. from Tyco, and that had no limitations on right. size mm -hmm. uh, based on their fire testing. You had the Viking mm -hmm. uh, ESFR testing mm -hmm. that showed it could handle. I, I did not know at the time the K14. That would have been an interesting. Well, uh, we didn't want to show a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we did that at UL, and then you know, wasn't. Well, it, it goes to the droplet size again. Right. It goes right. to the K14 trying to discharge and the amount discharge. of water. Well, it actually showed RDD because uh, you know we were flowing 100 gallons per minute. And at fifty percent water, you only were getting fifty gallons. You yeah, needed eighty. That's what it yeah. was. It so wasn't when we necessarily. Went to it was one of those things. It was, it was one of the weirdest. It was. Oh know, my goodness! You do need eighty gallons per minute. You know? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. So we're flowing hundred gallons a minute, but it was as if we were flowing fifty gallons a minute, because we yeah. did a fifty gallon a minute test of water only after that, right. and the results were identical. Mm -hmm. Fifty gallons a minute water was had identical results of hundred gallons, fifty fifty mixture. Mm -hmm. huh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was it was the dumb math. It wasn't yeah. That's about, why that's know, why we disputed for a while there. We were disputing that it was, you know, adding fuel to the fire because Oops, yeah. it, it didn't right. it, it acts know, as a void. Fifty yeah. gallons water only had identical results as yeah. hundred gallons fifty fifty mixture. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It, it was really incredible. I mean they were unacceptable, but it was the same, you know. Yeah. So we're talking about big systems right at the moment. Let's pivot a minute for residential, actually, because this is where this, this is where everything well, where really turned bad. on yeah. its head. Yeah, thirteen um, D and thirteen R also had in antifreeze language in them, basically saying if you've got an, basically assuming. I think the the assumption was that if you had spaces that were, in fact, the language is there that if you have spaces that are subject to freezing that are under 40 degrees, one of, the, one of the options was to add antifreeze to them. But it was still kind of limited to those, the intention, I think, of the standard. Now, this is moving into the 2010 edition. This was the edition that I was the staff liaison for. That You're moving into this, and it's still, I think, the assumption that these are two different spaces in the building, that, that you're really going to be just using these where you're where you're subject to freezing. You're not going to be chalking the whole multiple story, multiple residence building system with antifreeze. I think that was the assumption. It certainly seemed to be where the language was going. But just from a cost standpoint, mm -hmm. if you can run a wet system, you're going to run the wet system right. if you have floor control and zone control. Mm -hmm. um, you know, back in 2010, we didn't have the two-story riser control, mm -hmm. you know, the floor control rules. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you did have some bird cages. You did have some designs where the entire building would go up to the attic and come back down right. again in different right. flow patterns. Today, it's a little bit different because it's usually just the top floor mm -hmm. that needs some sort of freeze protection, right. if, if any. Yeah. So we, we advance into that. We've got, we've got antifreeze now going into lots of different buildings ev everywhere and being and being installed throughout the building regardless of whether or not it was subject to freezing the space was subject to freezing or or not so i'll tell you right now in in the fall of 2009 i was at the AFSA meeting in San Diego i think it was and Steve Hart some of you guys might know Steve Hart from California comes up to me and says um, and now i'm staff liaison for NFPA and he says, uh, I got to show you something. Dude, we got a problem. And I said, okay. So anybody that knows Steve knows he usually has notebooks. He had these three ring binders and he would, he just plopped it down on the table and he started flipping through. He's going, this was the sprinkler system. And it was in Truckee, California where the uh, person, uh, somebody, an individual had died uh, as a result of a, an activation of a residential sprinkler mm -hmm. In, in the residential area, in a kitchen, 
uh, in reaction to a uh, grease fire, uh, flash fire uh, grease. The whole the whole thing was a was just one mistake after another. But uh, and I said, oh boy, we've got a problem. So I went back to Quincy and ran it up the flagpole. And boy, there's no tougher discussion you have than having to talk to Maureen Brodoff, uh, who was legal counsel at the time, and having to explain to her what, what exactly was that went on. But that's where it, that's where it started. That's where this whole thing um, started. Because the conventional wisdom was, was all of these things. Yes, we can, it, it, it may be combustible, but not in all cases. Uh, pressure is a pressure is an issue. Droplet size is an issue. But boy, when when you looked at the details around the trucky system, it was high pressure, very small orifice, which atomizes your spray pattern, your your droplets a little bit, uh, not just a little bit, and a lot. And you wound up with what was I'm not sure what I can't remember what they used the term they used in the research, but it was just a real it was all very close to an explosion, but they wouldn't really well, it call was it that. It was conflagration. Yeah. 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 yeah, but the conventional wisdom was okay. Essentially, that was it. it was like taking you know when you're a kid and you want yeah. to burn flies, right? You take a aerosol can with a lighter. and yep. that's what it was. And that's what it was. Yeah. So that's we went exactly into the. What it was. So seriously. So we go we go forward in the and the yeah, and the correlating committee. Channel, right? That's that's yeah. before there was. Uh, yes. you know, this that's, just became PG thirteen. I know that's yeah. Don't try this at home, kids. So the so I, it, it was the correlating committee at the time because thirteen had just finished its cycle, and twenty ten was out there. I was given a presentation on the twenty ten standards, so there was nothing going on here. It was all closing out. So it's funny, Jim, as you're as you're talking about that, you, you know the one thing that we really haven't said a lot of through this whole thing. There was caution in the 40s, there was caution in the 70s, caution in the 80s, caution all the way along. Uh -huh. Because there wasn't a tremendous amount of uh, research and development ever really done with it. It's like, mm -hmm. well, if it's going to freeze and you can't put in a dry valve, use this stuff, but don't use a lot of it. Yeah. And that was really, if you were to if you right. were read 13, yeah. that's kind of what it said. Yeah. So Tyco, FM did some antifreeze testing, mm -hmm. and, and these systems are difficult because people want to use them in places where it's difficult to install sprinklers. Right. We had similar experience with the ESFR cold storage, mm -hmm. um, but there was, there was research, there was data behind it, we knew what we were kind of doing. Everywhere else, I would argue that there was antifreeze installed. I don't believe there was a lot of research testing. There was to support it. Not a lot of, you know, not a lot of, you know. And remember, you know, when the 2009 fire incident in Truckee, you know, instantly you go back through your notes and you go back through the history and you find the 2001 event mm -hmm. that was in a restaurant with a outdoor heating element. Outdoor seating room. area, yeah. and, it, and it was and protecting that area. Someone knocked off a sprinkler doing some maintenance and he flashed. Mm -hmm. And we had that report since right. 2001. But there are thousands upon thousands of antifreeze systems out there right. that yeah. we never heard a word right. about. Right. Mm -hmm. So you get that first in instance in 2001, then you get the 2009, and everyone's trying to study, everyone's trying to analyze this in mm -hmm. 2009, and the Research Foundation eventually gets involved. Right. Right. But, you know, your initial reaction as a committee member is, it can't be that broken because we'd be hearing this Absolutely. constantly. Exactly. Right. And every activation of an antifreeze system should blow up right. the way you are hearing this. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you start detailing 2009, mm -hmm. and I know it was subject to litigation, so we won't yeah. get into any yeah. of the concentrate levels or anything yeah. else, but you started to question as a committee member, was it mixed properly? Mm -hmm. right. did, it, did it fit that, that sure. concentrate level on some inspection? We don't yeah. know, and, and I don't know the answer to that. Um, did you have more than 60 or 68% concentrate at the drop when mm -hmm. that thing activated? And really, was it a right. true antifreeze mm -hmm. in accordance with the standard, mm -hmm. or was it just something a little bit different? So the reaction of the committee wasn't as aggressive and, and panicked because we needed more information. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it, that, that's where uh, you know the, the 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 conventional wisdom at the time was was that. And as we were moving into it, as as we started the research project, and you and I were on that panel that that kind of went through that. The, the thought was this was an anomaly, that there's, right. that there's almost no way we can recreate this 
in the in the laboratory. That was that was, and we were going into that, you know, the the whole literature search yeah. that was done in that phase. So so Scott and I were Scott and I were at the were at UL when we yeah, when we did Sean, this. Sean Orr too. And yeah. and well, was he was Sean was it Sean, Sean too? Was the guy running the pump. Oh, was no, he? Yeah. Okay. Right, yeah. So mm -hmm. so we're running this. We run this test. And we run the first test, and it's five feet out into yeah. the spray pattern, the, 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 the fire, the flash fire. We started all off. Nothing. Nothing. Puts it out. We, so, go, so we go out that evening, like you do, yeah. have, have a few beers. Study flammable liquids. Yeah. So they're studying flammable liquids. We're raising, we're raising a pint. Black and tans. That's yeah. right. We're yeah. raising a pint, saying... Duh, it's an anomaly. There's no way we're going to do this. So what do you want to do next? Okay, let's let's move it in a couple of feet. <laughs> yeah, so kind of move the ignition location as a little to closer to the sprinkler head, yeah. and rattled the blast-resistant doors on the yeah. on the test facility. Mm -hmm. That pressure wave yeah. that came off of it, and it and it kept burning until we turned the system yeah, off. It, it, it actually put out the fire in the pan. But the, was just, yeah. but the sprinkler kept burning. Was, so we knew we had a problem then. Yeah, and, and the through, discharge through the research yeah, foundation, the literature search, and yeah. you know, the, the initial things that were going on, you know, and you feel, you feel kind of strange as a committee member knowing that you're putting a combustible liquid or flammable liquid mm -hmm. into a sprinkler system. But Again, we just sort of lost sight of that because it was all on economics and 40 gallons. Yeah. And when these new fluids and new testing was coming out, they were saying it was okay. But mm -hmm. we weren't really doing the pressure spectrum. We weren't really doing all this other testing that right. we do today. Yeah. Well, and I think most committee members really, really looked at the standard and said they're recommended to be small, so they are small. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there's contractors. There's, there's a lot of people on the committee, <clears throat> so there was a whole lot of people in the back going, small yeah uh, uh -oh. you know there's uh -oh. a lot yeah. of them there's nothing small about right um, and even the substantiation you know they, they voted against my uh, mm -hmm. recommendation which at the time it's uh, fine that's uh, what the standards do but it was based on there's no historical data to support this change mm -hmm. and we do a lot of that because well there's right. not a problem why right. why right. make right. a change yeah and I, and I don't disagree with that it mm -hmm. was just one of those things that we were recognizing yeah. um, you know, people calling Viking and talking about when when literally fitters were calling. How should I, how should I enrich the antifreeze? Yeah. And I'm telling them to throw them away. And then a customer calls. Why are you telling my guys to do that? <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't you? you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. The, so. the so so there we stand. We stand with with this the 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 other event that occurred occurred shortly after this research or after this particular project. That was June of 2010 when we were at UL. And we were thinking, okay, that yeah, a, a reaction to a flash fire might actually do that. That might have the energy that's necessary to, or a grease fire. So we thought, okay, shifted a little bit going, that was a pretty extreme situation. I wonder if it would happen with just a normal set of combustibles. Well, we didn't wait too long for that answer, unfortunately. Harriman, in Utah in June of 2010 was a simple cigarette fire in a living room with the exact scary scenario it was similarities. A, it, was a it, wasn't it was a couch fire. The couch cigarette fire. didn't set the sprinkler off. True. The cigarette didn't. It was a couch Just, fire. Yeah, no, it was a... It's for the children. Yeah. That's a, sorry, Just it's saying. for the children. Yeah. Just saying. There you Just go. saying. All right. So, <laughs> yes, that's absolutely right. It was a couch fire. But it, but it was an ordinary combustible. Right. So that was the... Then all of a sudden now... Okay, so that throws that out. It's a problem all over. And then NFPA takes the starts to take a series of really extraordinary steps, shutting this entire thing down, with a safety alert that right. said, basically in residential, you guys should drain these things. You should drain them all out. Now that it, this is where I want to get with the you know this is where talking to you guys about kind of in, what what the heck is the industry going to do? Because by now I'm I'm back into the industry. As an industry advocate, how the heck is we going to get to this? But then a series of TIAs. Now, James, you're secretary. I mean, you're chairman of Standards Council now, so you you know what they're you know what they are limited in doing, and yet kind of these extraordinary 
steps that they took in the process just because this was an event that nobody, nobody saw coming. And it was, you were really cutting new ground here. So. Yeah, for something, for something to A, get a safety alert from NFPA has to be pretty unprecedented. They don't issue a lot of safety nope. alerts unless there's a danger to life or something mm -hmm. that they feel is that necessary. And being a member of uh, Standards Council now for a number of years, we generally regulate the process of what mm -hmm. the technical committees and, and what's right. brought before the council as work by the technical committees such as 13, 13D, 13R. Mm -hmm. But this one was happening at such a fast pace and I wasn't on the council during the 2010, right. 11, and 12 period um, where they issued three different series of TIAs in conjunction with the committee, in conjunction with the Research Foundation mm -hmm. because it was that important. But it was very difficult in the field to explain what was going on because the first reaction was don't get it out of the system. Right don't have any of this in your sprinkler system, mm -hmm. and people just can't convert a wet system to a dry system. Right. It, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't <laughs> work yeah. that way. <laughs> and to try to put air pressure, and so it really put the AHJs at a disadvantage to the NFPA mm -hmm. with the TIAs because they didn't know what to do. So right. they were really, hey, I've, I've been an advocate for fire sprinklers for 35 years. I'm up in Colorado. I've installed three or four hundred antifreeze systems mm -hmm. because that's all they could do, and they leave their house during the winter, right. and they don't turn the heat on, but they turn all the water up, but the fire sprinkler has to stay active. Mm -hmm. So they put in antifreeze, and now you're telling me I have nothing to replace it with. So many of the HJs that I spoke to just said, I'm taking the risk that it's better than nothing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And many of them just kind of watch the process of NFPA. I'm not going to allow any new antifreeze until sure. there's a listed or pre-mixed listed program out there. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, council was doing the best that they could to keep up sure. with the Research Foundation and the mm -hmm. NFPA technical committees. Right. But pretty unprecedented that TIAs were coming out as fast as they were. Right. Because there was additional, there was additional research after, the, after we did the residential uh, fire. There was additional research that was done. There was a sec. There was a, a second or I can't can't remember the numbers, but it was phase next phase, where they did where they did. Um, it was more, a few more phases. Yeah, yeah there was, was at least two. You all took it upon them. Yeah. I mean, it was all the all the calorimeter testing at UL. Mm -hmm. You know, measuring uh, flammability before and after at certain at certain flow rates of, of or discharges of the antifreeze of of the. the of the water, right? You know, to, to try to create different droplet sizes, different yeah. okay, pressures, and so there was a, a full matrix that was created with you know orifice size, pressures, mm -hmm. flows, concentrations, you know, and it was a whole kind of matrix that was developed to say, okay, you know, 50 psi with this orifice size and glycerin, no good, but maybe with propylene glycol, it's, it's okay, and right. You know, at the end of the day, I think it came out that you know glycerin was good up to only you know. Uh, you know, thirty percent, and glycol was good to fifty percent. Yeah. But the thirty percent glycerin, you know, is, is only has a freeze point of like you know zero to you know right. one below or whatever. So it wasn't practical to use anymore anyway. Right. Probably glycol was still okay, but that's no good for CPVC, and so it was good for our ESFR, but cold storage. But then whatever. Mm -hmm. So they just kind of canceled themselves out after all that data was available. Mm -hmm. How can you justify letting it? continue, right? right? Other than the sunset clause that was granted mm -hmm. to the existing systems. Right. So, so well, and that was the... But the, there was a lot of research yeah. done on that at UL, and then, you know, requirements were passed accordingly. Yeah. That, and that leads into the kind of the next edition of NFPA 13, where following the TIAs, they shut down everything. They said, you're not putting any antifreeze in new systems, and, and 13 could make that clean cut like that, because it was new installations. So, they, they could say, okay, nothing unless it's listed. Well, well there wasn't listed anything listed. Such, the right? real... Yeah. Challenge then became, as you just said, the existing systems and NFPA 25, and that's where there was this huge kind of Rube Goldberg approach to. I mean, it was just it, it was logical, but boy, it was kind of hard to walk people through all the language 
<laughs> you got it right there. <laughs> just because it's that hard to, to remember how to do just happen to have it. <laughs> you just, have, just happen to have it here. Um, so, but yeah, but it was, it was, all right, that's great. We can shut it off in new, but now how the heck are we going to catch up with what's already there? What do we do with those guys? Right. We had, we had the magic date of September 30th, 2012, because yep. that's when we said stop, don't go forward with mm -hmm. any new system. So we right. had to deal with the legacy issue of, systems installed prior to 2012. Right. They could have whatever capacity, because it was only a recommendation. Yeah, um, and the concentrate, if you go back in time and you look at the concentrates that were allowed, it was up to 70%. Sure. So we, we had very high concentrates yeah. where mm -hmm. the graph where you see the fluid temperature comes down, then it starts to spikes, yeah. get worse again. But uh, um, that was supposed to be educational. <laughs> don't, it was like, don't, don't do this. Yeah, don't make it too rich. <laughs> but it, it um, you know, you just had to draw the line in the sand somewhere and say, okay, these systems exist. You can't mm -hmm. just drain them and make them a dry system. And you right. can't just add water because they're obviously subject to freezing. Sure. So, you know, we always say this about the NFPA process is that they can assume some risk in mm -hmm. the standard. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have quite a history leading up to that point and that's the decision that they made, that right. 2012 and prior has to hit an A, B, and C protocol. Right. And if you meet A, B, and C, you can survive until uh, September 30th, 22. Mm -hmm. But it's September 30th, 22, you're gonna drain that system right. and put it with a listed antifreeze. So as a, okay, so now let's pivot towards the listing. I don't wanna, uh, you, you can spend hours dissecting the 25 language and, and risk analysis and all the other stuff that came along with it. But, but you, just, you just closed with as long, unless it's listed. Mm -hmm. Well, we went on for a few years before anything listed came out and now we're moving forward. Um, there is listed and there's a new listed. So uh, why don't we talk a little bit about where we're at now and where we're going. What did, what did we do? <laughs> well, we, what do we got? We, we are partnered. We're, we're really just kind of working alongside Lubrizol. Mm -hmm. And Lubrizol has a uh, new fluid called Freeze Master mm -hmm. that um, just received its UL listing. I saw mm -hmm. it in the uh, directory for an email that was just sent out. Mm -hmm. um, so it's got some unique applications. I'm sure we're going to talk about that, about what, what hazards it can handle um, where the system volume limitations still apply, and really kind of a forward-looking thing of how are we going to apply this in NFPA 25. I think we can talk about that here. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... So where are we, Scott? Yeah. <laughs> we're in Caledonia, Michigan. Oh, okay, very good. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're currently... Oh, okay, just saying. Yeah. We're currently on... NFPA 13D and 13R, mm -hmm. residential occupancies, unlimited in capacity. Mm -hmm. So if it's just feeding the residential area right. of 13R, if it's um, and, and limited application of um, you know small ordinary hazard area, mm -hmm. so that'll be in the listing for freeze master. But yes. essentially for the residential mm -hmm. sections of 13D and 13R, it's unlimited capacity. Okay. As soon as you start getting into some of the occupancy considerations, you start hitting some of the volume limitations. Right. Um, for an example, uh, light hazard uh, occupancy, it's for less than 200 gallons, so above 40. Mm -hmm. Still I, that magic I, 40. Everything, everything <laughs> starts and stops at 40, so right. up to 40 <laughs> in light hazard mm -hmm. means nothing. Right. You just calculate it as a wet system. Right. There's, right. there's mm -hmm. really no special protocol. Mm -hmm. When you get above 40 to less than 200, um, the calculations are going to be based on the light hazard to a wet system mm -hmm. for the freeze master fluid. Yeah. Above 200 to 500 gallon capacity, you're going to have a limit that you have to use. You have to select your area of operating sprinklers based mm -hmm. on them being a, a dry, dry system. system. Okay. So you're going to have the 1.2 uh, times your square root of the area. Times 30%. But 30% uh, yeah. for the square root right. of the area. So you're right. going to have more sprinklers in right. your design area for the dry. Even though you'll still calculate it wet, you'll mm -hmm. still 
the hydraulics will be for the the Darcy Weisbach. Okay. They're going to enforce the Darcy Weisbach for the antifreeze for the temperature that it's at. Um, so the increase, <clears throat> real quick. So uh, you know, a lot of times we we have all these funny rules. So so the increase is based on expecting more sprinklers to open, correct? Yeah. Like yes. A yeah, dry system. system, the penalty. I just, yeah. I just think that's important for people to understand. Yeah, like, like they're somehow getting penalized. Like, well, no, we, we expect a few more sprinklers to open, so right. calculate them. Yeah. And that's really kind of, you know, to kind of simplify it, we think it's wet. Um, we had an 1,100 gallon limitation. Of course, we were storage, but it was based on, you know, things that we knew. We knew how it was going to exit. And 200 gallons, mm -hmm. no problem between, you know, once you get above that plan for more sprinklers to operate. Mm -hmm. okay. so it explains the hydraulics a lot better in a, in a very manageable way. I'll have more heads operate. Yeah. As opposed to, we don't know, or, you right. know, I think there's yeah. a little more science behind this, so I think it's worth at least um, kind of highlighting that. Highlighting, sure. So, all right, so we're so, up to that larger that So you area. have the 40 gallons pretty much across the board, mm -hmm. right? in, in all right. occupancies, right. 40 gallons or less, right. you right. know, it's, it's right. use a listed antifreeze. Right. It's only when you want to go above 40 that you start hitting the limitation of 13D and 13R for unlimited. And then let's say you were doing an attic in mm -hmm. a 13R. Right. Now that's always a debate. What it's is always it? the is debate. It a, you know, Sometimes all, not a choice. We all have our cute names for it yeah. of what, what the code is called. But, <laughs> but people say it's a 13 application in the attic yeah. and then a 13R down below. And that's fine, but if it's light hazard 13, then you're going to have that 200 gallons or less. You'll calculate it as a, a wet system. Um, and then 200 to 500 gallons, you're going to calculate it as if it were a dry system. Mm -hmm. And 500 gallons currently is the maximum volume capacity right now for antifreeze okay. in light hazard, mm -hmm. in a light hazard application. Um, in 13R and 13D, it's, it's unlimited rel relative to the residential application. Okay. And then 40 gallons for other hazards. That's, so kinda, that's, a, that's kind of where we are. That's where we're at right now. So we've got our Freeze Master coming out soon. I've, I've actually, as part of this series right here, I'm going to be talking with uh, Mark Nurek from Lubrizol. Okay. Uh, he'll, be, he'll be a guest uh, here, and we'll uh, talk to him about kind of their plans for, for launching that. And uh, anything else anybody want to? Anything we've missed here while we're one, one thing just, to wrap up? Yeah, just one thing. When you talk about the, the design area for dry and going a little bit for a few more sprinklers, it's hard to compare yourself to water when you're not water. Right. <laughs> yeah. it's, I sure. mean, it's a so, fundamental. Yeah, it, when you go into the lab very good point. Yeah. and they're going to test you exactly to the performance of water, mm -hmm. and then they're going to put some additive or some fluid in there that prevents freezing yeah. and compare the two, they are not going to be identical. Mm -hmm. So th this isn't really a significant penalty. This is just kind of addressing the issues now through research that we know more about mm -hmm. it right. than what we knew before. Mm -hmm. um, but I, but I, would take, uh, I would take an attic in a dry system calculation mode uh, for area of operation over a dry system anything. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. right. Trying to trying to you know get an attic with all the pitch and everything else yeah. in, the, in oh, a four yeah. story building it sure. isn't easy with the compressor and everything else. Mm -hmm. So it still has a, a, a huge economic value to have the antifreeze in that system. It you know, lessens the complexity of the installation and, and anytime we can do that, you know, it's always best. And and you look at it, you know, when you, you talk about the history of testing how much testing has, has occurred over the last couple of years? A lot of testing. Yeah. Back in 2003, we realized 50% yeah. water just meant 50% water, which is no different than what James just said. Mm -hmm. It's different than pure water. Yeah. And, yeah. and when you talk about 13R, and you're running a attic and a dependent sprinklers for the residential area on the same system, mm -hmm. now it's a wet system. Right. And you have water or fluid immediately. Mm -hmm. If you do dry, if you if you pay attention to residential dry, you have to have water in 15 seconds. Right. Yeah. Right. So what yeah. what what we were forcing people to do was run a wet system under the insulation, mm -hmm. and then run a dry system above for the attic. So right. the cost was just compounding with the antifreeze and with it being unlimited down below, but uh, limited to the 500 or less for the for attic the area. Right. 
you're going to get the economic benefit of a combined system for that uh, mm -hmm. top floor. Great. So there's, like there's, some, there's some advantages there. Looks like we've uh, solved the problem. We're moving ahead now and, and two years ahead of the well, deadline. Okay, let's, just before we conclude, though, let's talk about the future challenges, and that's um, you know, something like a storage facility that has mm -hmm. antifreeze in a legacy mm -hmm. or uh, an ordinary hazard parking garage. Right. You know, that's the elephant in the room yeah, is there's a lot of parking garages with yeah. uh, antifreeze. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was the two stories of parking garage and condos on top, condos or, on top right. or a business on top. Mm -hmm. And they just ran antifreeze. And then that's great. But what is ordinary hazard anymore? And what is a parking garage? Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I was on NFPA. These guys are still on NFPA, but I was on NFPA 13 for 20 something years. And I was trying to figure out what an electric vehicle burned like, and I was mm -hmm. trying to understand what a car stacker was. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And you yeah. put two cars Another on top one. of each mm -hmm. other. You know, and we threw out extra hazard group two, I believe, because it was the highest density we could apply to a car sure. stacker. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if we go to UL and say we want ordinary hazard group two with antifreeze, we don't even know how water performs yeah, with we, these we, new electric right. vehicles. These, we're, these, we're, right. We've had some very large fires, and mm -hmm. there's challenges. It's not that antifreeze can't do it, mm -hmm. it's we haven't defined completely what this ordinary hazard challenge is, is moving right. forward. Even with right. water, right. And I yeah. think... It's a I tough part with the baseline on that. Yeah. So there is no baseline. That's right. what I mean. There's no baseline. There's no baseline. There's no baseline. Yeah. Right. And so I think the committee, I believe the committee just moved parking garages to group two mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. a proposal for the 2020... Yes. Two edition? And there was... Is that yeah, accurate? Yeah. I, I yeah. heard that. discussion. Yeah. And again, that's like a flip of a coin to say, well, it must be bigger than one. Right. Because we've had <laughs> a couple of really bad ones, and that looks, it to, looks worse than one. Because I was looking for the yeah. data. I was looking for the fire test, because yeah. I'd love to see the fire test. Then I'd know what to test antifreeze against. Right. But I haven't seen the right. data of burning a Tesla yet. No. <laughs> Anyone that wants to volunteer. Well, and, right. the, and, the tough, <laughs> and the tough part about that, you know, especially with parking garages today, when you, when you look at the data on parking garages, a lot of the fires in parking garages are in unprotected spaces. Mm -hmm. So, so there's, there's all this kind of funny things that are being reported. Mm -hmm. When we talk about the electric cars and some of the big fires, they were definitely in unprotected spaces. So mm -hmm. the baseline, there's, there's is, there is no baseline. There's no baseline. And we know it's bad. Mm -hmm. We know it's bad. Um, cars today, uh, gasoline car is much safer than they were in the 70s. And we all remember, you know, it being in cars five wide in the back with no seat belts, but they sure. were all steel, remember? They yeah. were safe. Yeah. Um, and today but we've got bladders and, plastic and fuel and tanks. Mm -hmm. uh, we, you know, we have things where people go, oh, the, the gas tank's plastic. It's like it's, it's a fully designed engineered fuel cell now. It's mm -hmm. not like it was in the past where, when's the last time somebody had a rusty gas tank? In the <laughs> 70s, that was a Pretty Big. standard just, operating yeah, thing, you, know? you got rid of the car. So, so, so that's a tough part with a, with a baseline on, on parking yeah. garages. And, and the committee just knew we don't, you know, and I sit on the discharge committee, and there was a lot of discussion. There was a lot of people that were kind of quiet through it because the last thing you wanted to do during our new COVID NFPA committees were just say me too. Yeah. There were a lot of, a lot of very valid points. They, mm -hmm. Everybody was pretty comfortable knowing it wasn't really group one. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was never supposed to be group one, right. but it seemed like it was okay. Mm -hmm. Just because the activity in a parking garage didn't seem hazardous, you were parking. Yeah. Now, now we're at entering something else into right. the equation where the fuel cells are different. Right. Fuel cells yeah. are different. Car stackers make it different. Yeah. Now you got shielded fires. You're introducing a whole bunch of things in there that you really don't. We really don't know. And unless we have a sprinkler facility that has a, a, a fire in it where we're applying water to one of these things, we really don't. And that's what makes it difficult to test against it mm -hmm. to prove that this particular antifreeze can be used in higher hazard occupancies. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we got to define what that is. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the future. We still got work. Still got work. Ahead there are a lot of things. I mean, you look at there's some storage facilities, small storage facilities, because now they're going to oh, what I would call almost micro storage, mm -hmm. um, to where they want to be able to deliver in an hour, which means they have more storage facilities. They're just not quite as large. Uh, and and in the past, and near any airport, there were all these dry 
storage areas, mm -hmm. and it was just stuff coming in and out. Yeah, distribution right. centers, yeah. Yeah, well, they, they drop it and they go, they drop it and they go. Uh, so, so it never was distributed. It was like the truck was there, or mm -hmm. maybe it was unloaded for a week or so. Yeah. Um, and, and things are just changing quite a bit. We're looking at micro storage and uh, automated storage. You look sure. at just weird things like that, that that you know we're going to catch up to. Unfortunately, <laughs> you know it's like yeah. you can't legislate fast enough. You know? <laughs> but the uh, partnership with Lubrizol, you know, goes back to our Blazemaster partnership. Mm -hmm. So we we extrude pipe and fittings uh, under the Blazemaster trademark yep. as a partnership with Lubrizol. So working with them with the antifreeze was sort of a natural mm -hmm. fit because of our sprinkler expertise and, and their expertise on the chemical properties of the antifreeze. Right. Made for a great partnership going through. It's their listing. We have a couple of special applications to Viking sprinklers that go with it mm -hmm. that are in our attic technology. So mm -hmm. that'll be in our attic data sheets. But uh, beyond that, it was really a positive experience working with them. Great, mm -hmm. great. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, this was a, a lot easier than I thought it was going to be, getting all you guys in the same room with me. You had so, to go widescreen, though. Yeah, we had to go. We had, you're going to need to use your widescreen, kids, on your computer to we, get us all in. We didn't think it could contain us. <laughs> all right, so thanks, uh, thanks, guys, again. This has been Jim Lake, Scott Franson, James Gollenvo, Martin Workman for Viking Tech well, Talks. I get a last name now. Got yeah. 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 Get a last name. I like Sharon. Okay, so this is uh, Jim Lake back again. This is an, a, a kind of an addendum that we're putting on to our, our Tech Talk um, podcast. And I've got Mark Nurek from, from Lubrizol. Really happy to have him along because everything we were talking about with the, uh, the, 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 the big three that I had, Scott France and James Gallenvo, Martin Workman, and myself were talking about, basically led up to this point right now that we have right here. And, I, and, and so I've asked Mark if he wanted to come on uh, and talk about the... Uh, the developments of, of this new product, uh, where we're at, its advantages, and, and just about anything else he wanted to, to chat about this morning about, or this afternoon about, uh, uh, you know, about FreezeMaster. So, so Mark, why don't you take, a, take it away? Give us some background on the development. What did you learn? Uh, how long did it take you to get here? Well, thanks, James. I'm, I'm glad to talk about FreezeMaster, and I'm happy to... to you're partnering with Viking on this important uh, new product launch. This, this actually began at the end of back in uh, 2016, mm -hmm. coming out of business review actually with Viking, where at that time we had been about six years um, into the new NFPA requirements and there was still not a listed antifreeze available. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Viking sort of said to us, you know, if Lubrizol is a specialty chemical company with a lot of expertise in the fire protection industry, if you guys can't get there, no one's going to get there. And so we, we took that challenge and um, started uh, some Skunk Works development work. And we had to partner with um, another business unit out of Blue Brazil, a group of uh, businesses in uh, their industrial segment over on the additive side. Uh, they had expertise in um, water-based formulation, freeze protection, and corrosion mitigation. And we're actually able to start to develop something that we thought had, um, you know, some potential, so a proprietary combination of materials that could hit the, um, the freeze points that were required in the industry, as well as meeting the uh, challenging um, lower flammability requirements um, of UL 2901. Mm -hmm. And so through 2017, we did a lot of true R&D developed formulation work. And then as that um, caught traction, we, we used the expertise of, of Lubrizol and understanding of um, corrosion and corrosion mitigation to not only meet flammability, but provide an, an enhanced corrosion mitigation um, package. Sure. And so that is um, what led into the UL testing certification work that we've been working on probably for the last seven, eight months. And our partnership with Viking there was instrumental, working with Scott and Sean Ward and those guys um, specifically on the fire test, they're very challenging fire tests to meet and to control all the variables and expertise that the Viking R&D team had were essential in being able to get this, this product, um, you know, certified and listed through UL. And whenever we go about developing a, a new product, a new formulation, um, we look for, you know, some, some key differentiation and performance that the market really is seeking, and we think we've delivered in a number of different factors. Um, Freeze Master has the lowest minimum use temperature, mm -hmm. down to minus 12. It's got a freeze point of minus 15 Fahrenheit. 
Um, we had done the corrosion testing that we have done is above and beyond the UL requirements. Right. Um, we actually con contracted a third party to do specialized MIC testing. That's such a prevalent issue in the fire sprinkler industry. Sure. And um, we demonstrated with Freeze Master superior performance uh, against anything else that's out there, including um, other listed um, antifreezes. Mm -hmm. Additionally, uh, we moved to get you know our listings enhanced wherever we can. And again, Viking was critical for that. We did a lot of attic testing work in collaboration with Viking that allowed us to extend past the standard 40 gallon limitation in 13R and 13 um, residential units uh, up to, okay. to 500 gallons, which was it is a very meaningful um, attribute uh, for, sure. the, for the end user, for the sprinkler contractor. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, when you combine that with the lowest minimum use temperature, the corrosion mitigation, uh, we think Freeze Master is the, is the ultimate product for freeze protection in the fire sprinkler industry, no matter what type of pipe material. This is listed and approved for steel, for galvanized, CPVC, mm -hmm. all, the, all the various um, materials that um, sprinkler piping is made from. Yeah, so it, it, talk to me a little bit about, because you, you talked about the freeze, the, the freeze point, the 12, the minus 12, but there's, there's some other details in there too. There's a couple other points in there that, um, as I understand them, they're pretty important as well. And Freeze Master does pretty well. That's the pour point and the what is it, the burst point also that you're that that are also pretty important points to have uh, kind of an advantage on. So why don't you talk a little bit about those? Yeah, when you get past that minimum use temperature, you get into you know it's freezing over um, you know a large temperature variation and the pour point is sort of that next level temperature which ours is around minus 22 Fahrenheit mm -hmm. uh, and that's when you're still you know getting fluid movement it's not crystallized completely right um, and then when you look behind beyond that you get a, a burst point that's when it's actually solidified and expanding of minus 58 Fahrenheit mm -hmm. um, and both those are amongst the the lowest available on the market um, certainly it's they're the lowest for listed antifreeze but they're also um, right near the bottom in terms of any type of antifreeze uh, that's uh, been used out there. That's great yeah that, no it, it certainly strikes a great advantage and and kind of how we're 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 working here at, at, at uh, working with you here at Viking was uh, I, I know uh, uh, a great advantage for us and and the relationship we have with with uh, Lubrizol now and with with Freeze Master in particular and where we're going with uh, the distribution. Uh, can you, can you make, have any comments on that? Where how how do how are we getting it out into market for the next couple of years now? Yes, part of our partnership with Viking, we are an exclusive. Um, so Viking Supply Net is the exclusive distributor um, for Freeze Masters. We launch here in the next couple of weeks, and so you'll, Freeze Master will be available through um, all the uh, Supply Net locations. Yeah, great. Hey. Next couple of weeks. Now we're yeah, because we're we're going to start talking about that for winter time, and it's you got to plan way ahead. So the timing marks really really perfect on that. Um, yeah, it it, uh, it it's really been quite something, uh, and thrilled to see it ha actually happen. I mean, I I was like as I said before in in the uh, during the podcast, I I was staff liaison at NFPA for the the automatic sprinkler committee when all of this really happened in back in in 2009 and to see the fact that we you know came about and didn't have any listed antifreeze but that was the only solution that was going to uh, no pun intended but that was the only thing that was going to actually uh, solve the problem um, and then to see this product come out and be positioned right here with with our capabilities and supplying it really uh, two great companies coming together so we really are looking forward to this uh, continued partnership with you guys so yeah yeah and I, I wanted to mention also this is just phase one for us we're going to continue oh. to evolve this is a category we think there's a, there's additional opportunity in obviously the, the minus 12 um, sounds doesn't sound as low but when you look at um, kind of the the lowest average mean temperature map I mean it covers a lot of areas up the coast up into Canada Mm -hmm. um, but there are places that um, we think a lower freeze point product um, can really cover the entire North American market. And so that, that's in our development pipeline as well. Yeah, you've got well over that. That 15 degree line covers well, uh, just about a little more than two thirds, doesn't it? And, right, uh, exactly. And, and so two thirds of the country. So you've got to get up into the 
into the far north here to, before you really get out of that range. So good for you. I mean, that, that, it, and, and it really does, it works quite well. It's a big coverage of the map um, on that one. So um, anything else you want to talk about as far as, as this is concerned or, uh, uh, or is, that, is that pretty much it? Because boy, I'll tell you, it's a, it, it looks like a great product and we're really thrilled to, to have you to be involved, like I said. No, we're excited to get out there with the Viking sales and marketing team. We have a comprehensive commercialization marketing plan. We're developing a lot of inbound marketing content that we've got in the queue. Um, a brand new web page dedicated to Freezemaster with all the pertinent information. Um, where to buy. We've got, uh, you know, obviously our inside sales team keyed up and ready to go, go about uh, promoting and, and, um, and selling the product now. Fantastic. Well, that's all I had. I, I just wanted to spend a little couple minutes with you and let, get your perspective on all of this. So uh, thanks a lot for, for uh, uh, speaking with us. Uh, and as I said before, this is Jim Lake along with Mark Nurick on the tag along issue, uh, edition here uh, to the Viking uh, Tech Talks podcast. So we're out. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, James. I appreciate it.